Hello and welcome to the Unpretty Podcast. I'm Basma and this is Chi. We want to explore the world of beauty through the experiences and stories of people of colour. In each episode, we will unpack different themes and topics, along with the help of some friends, experts and people we just really love. We've got lots to say, lots to learn and we're here to do that with you. So let's get to it. So today we're talking about henna and tattoos. Yeah, I'm actually super excited about this episode. I'm really glad we're doing this one. I feel like it's just henna, which is what we kind of call it in Sudanese culture rather than henna, is something that's super personal to me. It's something that just my whole childhood from being a little tiny person, we always used to get like little flowers on our hands. And then obviously as you get older, more intricate details and then your feet and whatever else. And it just, yeah, it's a big part of my life in a way I think I never thought about until thinking about this episode. So I'm quite excited to get into Aww. it. Yeah. Some people call it Mendy, right? Yeah, I don't actually 100% know what the word Mendy means. I don't actually know if that means henna. I'm, that's something that I think someone else will have to check us on because I'm not sure if that's a celebration yeah. or actually what the actual art is. So if anyone actually knows the answer to that, uh, put it in the comments. Just let us know. Henna, henna, Mendy, whatever. It is. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tell me about your tattoo life. Do you have any? Uh, not yet. Yet. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, I hope my mum isn't listening because she's going to fucking kill yeah, me. But... Um, slash arrange for my kidnapping mm-hmm. to happen before it happens. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I I want a tattoo. I've wanted one for a very long time. So are you going to get one? Yeah, it's time. Like the reason why I haven't done it before is because I'm scared of my mum. Right. And what she would say. But you know, I'm 30. She, have you just I'm an adult. How did yourself on the intro of a podcast? <laughs> ah. Um, sorry mum if you're listening. Um, oh, I feel really uncomfortable with this. <laughs> I think this should be an <laughs> offline conversation with your mum. Uh, I feel like it's kind of a good way to do it though because you know there's it's a one-sided conversation it's like I'm doing it you know and then I just won't pick up her calls for two weeks mum if you're listening feel free to press pause and phone your daughter what are you doing <laughs> you podcast? have you got any tattoos no, don't out me don't take me down with you no mum I have no <laughs> tattoos don't, don't, this is your work not mine <laughs> Do you know what? I might use Ayo's tactic that um, she used on her mum when her mum realised that her tattoo What's wasn't <laughs> drawn on. Um, so she'd found a picture of her mum's grandma, I think it mm. was, and she had, from back in Nigeria, so she had um, Nigerian tribal tattoos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was like, well, mum, your grandma had them, so... She, I- it's part of the culture. Are you actually going to go back to your mum and be like, my friend's mum's mum had tattoos, so like, you know, let it go, mum. Is that, is that, I that's your way out? I mean, she is a Nigerian elder. Nah, babes. This is, I would not do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let me know how it goes. We'll circle back. Yeah, this. circle back. And mum, if you are listening, I had no part to play in this. So, all her by herself. <laughs> Not right should we introduce yeah we totally should i'm excited to talk to them so our first one is joy crooks everyone should know who joy crooks is but in case you don't she is a singer songwriter from south london she incorporates details about relationships self-reliance her own culture her south london roots and her identity in her music 
She was listed as Amazon Music's One to Watch, as well as being nominated for the Rising Star Award at the 2020 Brits earlier this yeah, year. What a dream. And then we have Nish Rowe. Nish has actually only been tattooing for two years, but her story is pretty incredible. She is originally from Manchester and is one of the very few black female artists, tattoo artists in the game. Um, and she prides herself on tattoos around black heritage and culture. She also creates content around LGBTQIA community and she currently works at Femme Fatale in London and focuses on tattoos for people of colour. And finally, if two guests weren't enough this week, guys, we've got three. Our third guest is Sabira Hack. She is the owner and founder of Huck That, a London-based henna collective. Huck That is a celebration of the ancient body art rituals using henna. In a tradition which is most commonly associated with weddings and other celebrations, Huck That was created to provide a more accessible platform for henna art for all, whatever the occasion. Yeah, so excited. Let's get into this and uh, let's see what these women have to say. Thank you guys for joining us. Before we start, we would love to know how you individually identify yourself ethnically. Oh, that's always a hard question when you're mixed. <laughs> I mean, I am black British. Um, my mom is half Jamaican, half Irish. And my dad is Jamaican and Indian. But I just oh, ad- cool. identify as black. Yeah. That's it. Amazing. And Sabira, what about you? Bangladeshi. You're like straight up Bangladesh. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. What about you? My mom was born and raised in Bangladesh. My dad was born and raised in Ireland. Um, I'm born and raised in South London. I'm a hundred percent of all of them, in my opinion. That's up to me. Yeah. But yeah exactly. There Amazing. We go. All the Irishness. I'd like to claim the Irishness, even though I'm speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of my ac- accent, I'm gonna say I'm Irish. <laughs> So Nish, tell us about your first tattoo. Oh, my first tattoo was when I was about 21 and Mm. it was indeed on my face. Wow, Uh, your first tattoo was on your face? Yeah, so this is about six, seven years ago now. It's a weird one because I'm not really, you know when you hear about people getting face tattoos and like it's very trendy now and like... I, it wasn't really trendy at the time and I thought about it for five years I told my mom my mom was like why don't you just get it on your arm and I was like no mom it's got to be on my face <laughs> so I thought about it yeah and then I decided to get it but it says I'm a bit of a history geek so I won't go into it too much but it says um celestial chariot and the meaning behind it it just basically is telling me that I can achieve whatever I want to achieve and there's so many different stories about why we're here and what we're you know who we are and and um it's just a kind of memo for me to 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 interpret life in my own way and to not kind of stick to one particular religion or understanding and just to delve into lots of different things and yeah make my own mind up as to what i'm doing here and what my purpose is is your tattoo a symbol or is it um no it's writing Amazing. And are any of your tattoos connected to your culture? I know that you specialise in like black magic symbols. Yeah, I mean a lot of it's a weird one because a lot of my a lot of the tattoos that I have do celebrate black heritage in general, but being half Jamaican and obviously it being I, I'm yet to do a DNA test and see, you know, where the heritage comes from before it got to Jamaica. 
So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just kind of celebrate all black heritage and, but particularly African cultures in general, basically. And what's your favorite tattoo? On myself? Oh, I can't choose. I like, I love all of them. You know, to me, tattoos are like a stamp in time, like a moment. And when you look at them, you remember, when you look at each one, you remember like, you know, your mindset at the time where you were in life. Um, so I love all of them. So nice. It's so important to not hate a tattoo. Like that's always my fear with getting tattoos. It's like, am I going to love this forever? Or am I going to be like, what have I done? You forget after it heals, you just forget about it. Like a couple of years time, as long as it's not like absolutely ridiculous, it's not spontaneous and you've actually thought about it for a little bit. I feel like you're always going to, you might not always look at that tattoo and love it, but if it's done well and you thought about it, then you're always, there's always going to be a charm to it, you know? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I guess it becomes a part of your body, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Joy, what about you? Because you have various tattoos. I only have four. Only four? They're all really tiny. Are they? And tell us about your first tattoo. I was 18 and... Like, sometimes... <laughs> I, I feel like there's a story. <laughs> no, I like. I actually like the, t- the one I got when I was 18. There's one I don't like because I'll get to that, but it's just so stupid and so telling of the world that we live in. But, so I always get tattoos in a time where I want to celebrate myself. That sounds really strange. But when I've done something that I think is successful to myself, not only in a music way, but on a personal level as well. I, I think, think that's dope. Yeah, mm. I just like reward myself with a tattoo. It's so, so, it's such a weird complex to have. But um, yeah, so like if I've healed from something, then I'm like, okay, now I can get this on my body or if I'm healing or if I'm... So my first tattoo, and I've just been reminded of this, Today, three years ago, or maybe yesterday, three years ago, was my first ever headline show. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. And so after that, I wanted, no, it was before that, actually. So I like started to get into music and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a musician. So I can kind of like, I guess I felt like I had more ownership of my body, if that makes any sense, because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I know where I'm going and I know kind of this is the route I'm, I'm trying to take. And I know that's a very existential question to ask an 18-year-old, but for me, it was like, I think I knew from like 16 and leaving school, okay, I'm going to just be in the entertainment industry and I'm just going to have to make this work. Sabira, do you have, so you don't have any tattoos, but have you ever thought about getting a tattoo? Do you want one? I've had dreams where I've like, yeah. (laughs) I've had dreams where I've been like in like just loads of tattoos all over my body, all on my back. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What's my family going to say? Like, What's going to happen when I die and they have to wash my body and they see what's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's You're like, already. it's like one of those where it's, I always loved tattoos, like always, um, since I was a kid. And, but I've just never, like, I've just never gone for it. I've never like, I, and recently I've been thinking about getting hand poked tattoos, like maybe on my hand, like on, on the fingers or something You're like going to go straight for the hands. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> I have these conversations with myself like oh can I do it or maybe if I get something small and then it fades away after like a couple of years like it'll be all right yeah I don't know it's, it's weird slight suggestion on your first one should not be the one that everyone can see joy you do quite a lot of henna art when you perform and also when you have henna you know in all your kind of imagery 
Um, and obviously the same Sabir, and also because it's something very personal to me, because henna is a big part of my culture. I think with Bangladeshi, you guys do a lot more orange henna in my culture. We love a, we love a black hair dye, mm. and it's all about black henna. But I just wanted to ask you guys how you feel about henna becoming so trendy and what it means personally to you guys as well. My like journey into doing henna was a bit of a weird one. Like, I didn't grow up with other Bengalis around me, other than my own family. and. I'm sort of like third, fourth generation. Um, so I didn't know a lot about my Bangladeshi culture. It was much more like, it was the religion that was sort of um, taught to us or we were brought up with. So it wasn't really the culture. So for me, discovering like Bengali rituals and things that people were doing in Bangladesh came when I got married. And it was only because I was getting married to a white man that I was like, oh shit, like I need to learn about these things because if I don't, then it would just disappear. So I need to know these things. Right. And so for me, it was really like, when it was arranging the wedding, I was like, I need to have a traditional wedding. I need a traditional dress. Like I need to do all the traditional rituals. So I was like, oh, what's this for? And like, so I started learning about all these different rituals and I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. Like, why did nobody teach me these things? Like these things were never emphasized when we were growing up. So for me, it was like, rediscovering this part of me because I'm fully Bengali it's not it's not that like I'm mixed or anything like that so I just felt like this huge thing was missing from from my life and it was something that I had to go to myself to find out um and that's how I came across henna like other than that when I was a kid we'd have it every now and again at a wedding possibly you know it wasn't ever something that we do every year or like regularly so when I was like okay what kind of designs do I want on my wedding I really went in deep I, I got like proper into like the styles like the history of the rituals like all of that stuff and and then I was like you know what I really love it maybe I should just like do it. <laughs> it started off as a hobby and then I was like, I could just do something with this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. But one oh, thing nice. that struck me with, with henna is like when learning about the history of it, it can be traced back to ancient Egypt and the root of how it came to Asia and like parts of South Asia and things like that is actually like through trading from those parts of the world. So it's actually a lot more ancient than what we think it is. And it's also a lot more diverse than what we think it is. You know, every, most people associate it with the South Asian culture. You get it in Africa, you get it in Asia, you even get it in the Mediterranean. There's a theory that Cyprus is called Cyprus because there's so many henna plants on the island. So yeah, that's one of the theories. So, um, so there's a lot of like, it you can find henna plants in so many places in the world but i think it was around it was something to do with india and like after partition when there started to become friction with like the islamic and the hindu sort of fractions like those when that started to happen i think india sort of took it to like claim that as, as something of their own yeah. And it not be like something that's from the Islamic culture or that came from the Islamic culture. So there was sort of, that's where I think the confusion started coming. And that's where like, it was sort of like, no, this is ours. And this came mm -hmm. from, you know, our traditions and things like that. But it's actually like, you can find it in so many different parts of the world. Yeah. Do particular patterns mean particular things or... 
certain patterns just belong to particular cultures um yeah so they, certain patterns mean like they mean different things but the different patterns come so in north africa for example they their style of henna like i i absolutely love the north african style of henna but especially like moroccan style henna their yeah. patterns and symbols that they use is quite close to like what you'd find of the amazing tribal tattooing and things like that so there's a lot of overlap between the way tattoos are done and how like the henna patterns come about as well and what you see like is most common sort of henna designs with the strips sort of that's actually quite contemporary that's like something that's new that only really came about yeah. in the last what do you mean what do you mean the strips so um you know where you get like it's very floral with like you have like the oh, and the, yeah, sure. so, yeah yeah so that it's, i'd say mm-hmm. that for me obviously from north africa like our henna is a lot more i guess bold i think indian bangladeshi henna is a lot more intricate it's all in the detail it's tiny yeah. tiny tiny little things ours is a lot more like sparse i guess because it kind of floods over the whole body whereas i guess i always like with indian and bangladeshi henna that it's all very tiny tiny little lines it's all a lot more intricate joy i would love to hear your earliest henna story yeah like just how where it began for you like was it something that was part of your childhood or my mum and i used to sit in the kitchen it's like one of my earliest memories we used to sit in the kitchen and we used to buy this like pound shop henna which was just awful (laughs) and she used to like she used to let me henna different we it would never be only on their hands like she would she used to henna my belly I used to have henna all around my belly button I used to have henna on like my rib cage and I didn't really understand like obviously I didn't try and intellectualize the history because I was a youth but um she it was just some it was like it was like a language it was kind of like I'm gonna put this onto your body and you can do this to me and and it looks pretty and we're going to do these patterns and there was a lot of paisley because we used to actually look at our it has like the story of a a village on it which is like hand stitched into a blanket and generally we kind of like my baby blanket fits my sofa so oh wow we used to use patterns from this and there's I've always been obsessed with the the paisley I, I know it's not called paisley I think it's called vodka um, and I like the way that it completes itself because you can do one and then you can draw another and it's kind of like that 69 yin, yin and yang thing where it kind of completes yeah. itself and fits together so I used to always just draw them on her um and it was like I said it was like a language and I think that because I I can't speak in my mother tongue um I found that it was kind of like the opposite story to um, Sabira. It's like, because I had to fill a gap, the gap couldn't be filled with my language and with me being able to particularly articulate, which was really difficult because actually my mum and grandma speak uh, Bangla much better than they speak English. But um, for me to articulate was through uh, the art and through the culture. And so as I got older, I think I was like 15, 16, and I started to, I started to indulge in understanding more about henna, um, wearing henna way more, wearing junkers, which is like the traditional earrings, um, wearing traditional clothes. Like, I think a lot of people associate my artistry with my earrings and I have loads of like gold earrings and stuff like, well, I don't right now, but I have loads of gold earrings, da 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 like, oh, where do you get these from, da 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 And for me, it's kind of like, that's for me. And it's never been a thing because of my artistry. It's a thing for myself. So I feel quite weird about sharing where I get my jewellery and stuff like that from because it's kind of like, 
I appreciate that you find it beautiful, but it's like this very, this is how I am connecting to my culture. Mm, um, yeah, that's and that. Yeah, there's been a few girls in my life that have been really like besotted by my jewelry, and they've been like they've gotten to the point where they're just like, oh, like Chrissy, where do you even get like where do you get it from in London? Like, blah, blah, blah. and the next thing you know, I see them with it, and uh, yeah. it's like it's sometimes I gift my friends if I'm really like if it's a special occasion, I'm like, look, these would look beautiful on you. And some of my girls, two of my best friends are Congolese and I've given them both these gorgeous gold earrings and they look amazing in them. And to me, that's me speaking the language to them. But when I've had friends that have gone out of their way to purchase the same kind of things, it has felt, um, and that might just sound petty and people be like, I'll grow up, but it has felt a bit like, you know full well that I wear this as a way to speak. I don't wear this yeah. because it looks pretty. I wear this because this is me speaking and I'm I'm longing my mother tongue like no other. And I'm yeah. actually starting to learn Bengali now. But it's kind of like you're taking the piss. <laughs> you're yeah. taking the piss. You're like you're my friend. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? it's almost like when you were describing your you know, the, like your early childhood memories of like your mum, you know, doing all this henna on you and it's like this exchange it's like this communication and this language of love and culture you know and then it's the same for you with your earrings like you said you have these attachments to your culture and then you you also want to give and that's that language of love when you're like offering your friends but you just don't want someone to go out and cop it because it's just like yeah do you know what I mean (laughs) and especially when it's your own friend it's like you know without me having to say, because it's actually some of my friends who are from cultures, they know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. And they know the reasons behind it. And so it kind of, I don't know, that to me, it was like, you're just, you're, you are literally taking the piss. Yeah. It's interesting because it's almost like you feel like they're taking from you a little bit. Yeah. So what I do is I just move on to the next one. I'm like, well, if you've got, if you're trying to do this earring look, then I'm just going to move on to here. And that's <laughs> brought me, that's brought me to, um, I've been purchasing a lot of Creole earrings and the reason why, and I haven't, I'm not fact checking, I'm not well versed on this, but the designs to me are, you buy them in, in generally white owned pawn shops in, in South London. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, when I go in and buy a pair of Creole earrings, which I believe have also got Indian influence, I think that basically they're like colonial earrings. I know Britain has gone out found all these patterns from the Caribbean, from Africa, from Asia. And when I go and buy a pair of them, I feel like I'm reclaiming something that has been lost. Mm, so, so even with them, which they're the earrings I always wear now, I'm not telling you where I got them from. Because <laughs> I know my girls, I know my girls, like yourselves, you'll probably know exactly the meaning of those earrings. And another part of it for me is the South London culture. You know, these kinds of Creole earrings that are really, really... Um, gold and um, kind of slightly obnoxious i've been seeing aunties wear them left right and center my whole childhood white aunties black aunties brown aunties like these are earrings that are so like for me they're so related to south London culture and so when i'm seeing people being like they're so pretty do that i'm like i'm not gonna tell you because this is for us yeah. and when i go in and spend a stupid amount of money on these it's because i'm going thank you britain i'll take that back it's yeah. almost like an uh, it's almost like an artifact that I can kind of like. It's like going to the V and A and picking up a couple of bits. See you later.
niche. Why do you think that there's not a lot of black female tattoo artists? I think one main reason is how the Western tattoo industry came about by like bikers, you know, members of the Navy. And and so it's always been straight white male dominated. Yeah. And then, you know, as a young black girl, you don't see representation in a particular industry. And so you don't consider whether that could be a possible career for you. And so, um, yeah, there's just not many black girls like picking up a tattoo machine or picking up a needle and, and, and trying it out. And um, it's a hard road. You know, normally you get into the industry by doing like a traditional apprenticeship. And I didn't want to approach other tattoo shops because when I look, when I go to these tattoo shops, they're all just white males or white females. And I felt uncomfortable going in and asking people to teach me how to tattoo because I can see that they can't tattoo on black skin. They don't want to tattoo on black skin. And so I didn't want them to teach me because, you know, my primary focus is creating designs that celebrate or speak on our ancestry and our culture. And also, you know, my focus is to tattoo people of colour and give them sick tattoos because so many people have either been refused from shops or... They have been given tattoos that have led to like really bad scarring. Is it different tattooing on a person of color to tattooing on a white person? Is that like a different yeah. technique? Yeah, yeah, it oh, is. Complete. I didn't know that. It's, it's minor differences, but it is very different. Like when you start training, you know, you get synthetic skin that's only of a like a white nude color. Sorry, I'm doing quotation marks for people that are not going <laughs> to see them. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so people start training on only white skin basically and as a white person you probably are primarily surrounded by other white people but the difference is that basically the needle goes into the second layer of skin called the dermis and black people have a thicker dermis we also ah. produce more collagen so if you are not careful you can damage that dermis layer and with white people it's it's not as easily damaged and so right. because of the overproduction of collagen that we have it can almost like trick the skin into thinking that it needs to keep producing this collagen which is what the keloid scarring is so we're prone to keloid right. scarring and it's hard to tattoo so with colors black people can get colored tattoos that is a complete like yeah, it's a myth, yeah. basically. But yeah, it's harder, you know. Black skin reflects light, so it's harder to see what you're doing. There's a few factors that it, it's just harder. It's easier to draw on a white piece of paper than it is to draw on a brown piece of paper, basically. And so, but there are, is that the same for henna? Do you no. have to use different techniques for different skin? No, so with henna, it's um, the keratin in the skin that absorbs the stain, and everyone has that. So it doesn't matter how dark your skin is, you'll still get... The henna stain on there right. obviously like the contrast of the skin to the stain you can see it more on lighter skin but it will still stain on darker skin and you'll st you still see it the henna thing is so interesting with orange just from my own experience because i'm actually allergic to black henna because it's hired hair dye effectively um and i remember coming out in boils so when i go to sudan they're always like we have to use or you know natural orange henna but because i'm darker i have to apply it three or four or five times and it's a nightmare wow. so we're still trying to figure out ways of me being able to do black henna without it being hair dye but i also what was interesting is like when i saw on what you do like you can also do white henna which i was like what is white henna made of because my mom was like you know before you get married one day when you get married we've got to figure out how we're going to get henna on your skin i was like this is the whole thing but i always feel like that is quite tricky actually with henna because if you're darker 
it's harder to get to stay and get to stick. The henna that I use would stain on, on your skin. Oh. It, yeah, it would. <laughs> High darkness. <laughs> it would go really dark. It just depends on how long you keep it on. White henna is essentially just, um, it's like similar to face paint, but it's waterproof. Oh. So it, it will just last for the day. Oh, it just lasts for the day? Yeah, yeah, it's not a stain. Oh, interesting. Nish, similar to what Joy was saying about her earrings that her friends have been replicating, essentially, and appropriating. Do you have white customers? A few. <laughs> How do you feel about a white customer coming in and asking for traditional African tribal symbols? How, how do you feel about that? Honestly, it's normally the other way around. I don't want to generalise, but I feel like because tattooing is fairly new to westernised, like, black culture, I feel like we're very ignorant on it. I get inquiries all the time where, you know, a black person's asking me for Chinese lettering and I'm like, Mandarin or Cantonese? They're like, huh? You know, so it's like this... We're very ignorant. My aim is to, like, educate you know, people of colour in tattoos. And I'll say to them, you know, what is it you want to... You know, they'll say, oh, I want to get some Chinese letter in that says, I don't know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, well, where are you from, you know? And I don't want to take a place of, like, judgment, but for me, tattooing is a sacred art and it's an energy bond with the client and vice versa, you know? I don't believe you should just walk into a shop and get a tattoo from a random artist. I think that it's, like all like relationship based and you know there's an energy exchange there and I I feel like you know I I always just say to people well what's your heritage what's your culture you know you Ghanaian let's get some Adinkra symbols on you let's celebrate your culture and your heritage and honestly it happens all the time and just with people just seeing you know like footballers with a certain type of like you know the generic like doves and a and a compass and a you know, like all of that sort of stuff and like kind of italic, like Chicano like type writing. People just see these things on other people and be like, oh, I want to get that done. And it's about educating people and just like helping them to understand that there's so many options out there and like you should be inscribing your own culture or cultures that you are somewhat related to, connected to on your body. So that's my issue. I've never had a white person come up to me and ask me for an Adinkra symbol or anything. And if that happens, then it's a no, you know. I'm I'm very I had just a straight um, up no. Yeah, well done. It's you. a straight up no. It's wow. a straight. I'm very. People tell me a little bit extreme, but honestly, I feel like <laughs> as a black female tattoo artist, we're so rare to come by, and I'm just so proud of like who I am, where I come from, and I want other people to be proud of where they come from as well. And I feel like as black people, people of color that are born in Western civilization, we have so much learning to do about our heritage it's not just about the 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 food we eat the clothes we wear it's about saying loud and proud where we come from and and that we celebrate where we come from and who we are you know like recently i was at the protests and um there was a chant going on saying like we are black and proud and honestly i looked around and so many black people were shy to say it and it Mm. broke it broke my heart I'd, I could observe like so many people being like, oh, can we, you know, we can say fuck Boris Johnson, but we can't say we're black and proud, you mm-hmm. know, and that is an issue for me. So I had a, 
a lady that was like, I think one of her grandparents was black and she wanted a black power fist. And I sat her down and I, I basically interviewed her and, you know, made up my decision. And I went ahead and, with it because I was, I just had to grow her a little bit and be like, are you aware of what this is? Why do you want to get it to me? You, as a black person who also has like light skin privilege, you're lighter than me and you have pretty much in my eyes full white privilege. So are you aware of like, the fact that most people probably see you as white and that you have full white privilege. Also, what does it mean to you? What's the what does the black power symbol mean to you? You know, how no, is I've this gonna change your life? I've never heard of a tattoo artist do this and I kind of love it. I love the fact that you're like, I also have to decide on whether I want to do this or not. You always yeah. assume because they're giving you money. It's my like, artwork hey, at the end of the day, like yeah. money, you know, we we all love to be paid for what we do but the integrity and the intention behind my art is more important for me and my name is attached to that you know so yeah. um i will happily sure. turn away money for that reason joy when it comes to henna and it comes to tattoos you obviously talked about the earrings but how do you feel when you see other people that aren't necessarily from your culture or the cultures that have henna doing it i feel like i hope they were at a wedding this weekend and i can excuse them <laughs> I hope that they were literally at their sister's wedding who's white but they married a brown boy and I just enjoy the benefit of the doubt because yeah I think that personally I think that cultural appropriation is so layered is so layered yeah. I think there's a lot like you know a lot of people don't know what Sabir was talking about about how um Henel has its origins in Egypt and I just feel like, I feel like... Like, is there a way to get around it? Like, Sabira, do you have white clients? Yeah. And when you're working with them, are you sharing that history and... So, for me, when I was looking at doing henna, something that I, like, I saw that was quite... It was like the theme of, like, how henna was shared in, in, in these cultures. And it was about feminine energy, you know, it was about sisterhood, a time with, with women... And it was also done at times of celebrations, like weddings, it was done at festivals, like uh, Eid, Diwali, like these types of events would be like the mm. occasions for when, when henna would be shared. Mm. So for me, when I was looking at sort of starting up Huck That, I sort of felt like it's something that's of my culture and it's something that I would want to share you know, on these occasions. And so, like, I've done henna on people at festivals and things like that. Most of my client base aren't white, but when we're at festivals and things like that, you know, I will, I'll get quite a few customers that, that will be. With the cultural appropriation side, I feel it more when it's a white henna artist. Like, that would be more more of where I, I would kind of feel like, well, if, if you'd want henna, you'd, would you not go... To, to someone who ha that's part of their culture you know you would why okay. would you go to someone who isn't from that culture but then is doing henna you know yeah, yeah. so for me it's more of, of that side of things where I would feel like that's cultural appropriation and that's that would make me feel away yeah for, yeah it's a, very, it's a very good point I actually wondering joy if hopefully one day if you want to you get married would you want all your friends to get henna at your wedding like a mellow festival um <laughs> i don't know uh i honestly wouldn't mind um we 
I don't know if I can put myself into imagining that, but when I did a um, I did a Nike pop up uh, last year, and I had two of my best friends. Sabira is one of my best friends, and um, Nam. It, they're both. I'm a, we're all Asian. Nam was making Vietnamese food and serving Vietnamese food, and Sabira came with her girls, who are all of South Asian heritage, and were you guys were all doing henna for people of all sorts of different nationalities etc but that whole night was a celebration of my own identity and my people and so it's exactly what Sabira is saying if I if I hired a white henna artist I think it'd be a different story but people knew that they were there to see my music a lot of my fan base know that I am of mixed heritage and one of the those places is South Asia and so I think they knew what they were coming in for and I think that you walk into four brown girls sitting on these really really cute chairs doing henna if you're moving like a prick then do you know what I mean? You're going to be kicked out. But the level of respect that I saw around that table, the level of respect that I saw people have where they were queuing up for food, I think, you know, even just the idea of applying an immersive experience to a gig made people quite respectful of the space. Yeah. I don't know. Sabira, how did you feel when you were there? It was amazing. I've never seen something like that at a gig. Having, like, food there and having henna there and, you know, I thought that was really... It was such a nice... And even for the fans, like all the ones that I spoke to that I did henna on, they were in awe of like the whole event. Like they absolutely loved it. I think um, it's it, it teaches people respect. And I think at the end of the day, when it comes to appropriation, it is about, fundamentally, it's about respect. And I think when you have respect, I get a lot of white girls that message me being like, is this okay if I do this? Yeah. And, I, and, and that comes from, in my opinion, comes from a place of respect. I agree. Mm. And I think when you walk into a very, a space that's occupied and all the people that are um, about to give you this night, you know, I'm, is, I'm Asian, Sabir is Asian, Nam is Asian. Um, the space had a lot of, like, a lot of black people working for Sony, etc. I think that that is, uh, I guess, I hope that teaches people a little bit of respect, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You are literally being, you are having this, and it was free, and all you have to do is queue up and you're having this whole night and you're getting basically spoiled mm. with all different things. And surely to me, that should be a respect thing. Obviously, not everyone will take that as respect and everyone takes the piss sometimes. But, um, but I, I think even just creating that experience and having yeah, really leaving cool. that memory yeah. with, for all of your fans, whether or not they have henna within their cultures, you know, yeah. they've had a piece of that and been able to understand and celebrate you and your own heritage yeah i think that's beautiful it's really clever and you never you never hear of artists doing things like that that's an example of how henna can be shared in a way that does it doesn't feel like it's cultural appropriation like when a white fan would come and get the henna done i think in times where people have felt like it it has been for example like when madonna had the henna done you know, back in the 90s, early 90s. Right. And it and, and that's when it, like, sort of blew up and, you know, everybody was sort of raving about it and, like, going and getting it done. And there were a lot of white henna artists at the time as well who were sort of, like, capitalising off of that. But I think when I've spoken to my South Asian customers, a lot of them have said that the, w- the way they feel about it is because when they used to have it as when they were kids 
and they'd go to school, they'd get teased for it. So for them to, you know, get teased about having henna on their hands and then it now sort of being, like, really trendy and everybody wants to get it done, I think that's where that feeling comes from of, like, oh, okay. But it wasn't okay for me to have it when, you know, when I used to get it done, but now that it's trendy, like... I saw exactly the same thing. So my school was predominantly white, but the next biggest ethnic group were South Asian, so Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, and all of those kids used to get picked on when they came back from Eid or Diwali with their henna or a wedding. And then come September, when the white kids had been to, like, a Greek island or been to Spain and they had their hair and it was a whole different story. It's yeah. absolutely wild. I imagine the same goes for hair and for yeah. kind of all the things that we celebrate within our culture. Even the fact that I used to get called, people used to come up to me and even like people of other ethnic groups. I once had an Asian girl from the other side of Asia come to me and be like, oh, you stink of curry. And it's like, oh. but it tastes better if my mum makes it in the morning and we eat it at night. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Gotta let that stew. Well, at least I know my my house is seasoned. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But it's yeah. like you don't yeah. you don't have that mentality when you're at school. I, I remember the day when I I literally had just walked into school. I was tired. It was eight forty five a.m. and the first thing I get greeted with was, "Whoa, like you proper smell of curry today," and it's like. Yeah. And you, you double take yourself, you're going into the bathroom, you're like, do I stink? Do I do? And yeah. you don't realize how that is. Um, and I think I'm getting it more as I get older, it is really damaging. And it's, um, yeah. and you have these kinds of when you go out, and this being called the Unpretty podcast, you do have this kind of thing where, like, am I not, you know, like when you get any form of racism, I think that that is an attack on your existence, yeah. And your existence is not only your existence. In my yeah. case, it's my mother's existence, it's my grandmother's existence. All the times that I've been, I've been racially profiled a lot as a refugee because I guess my look is quite ambiguous. And when I'm wearing a certain beret or when, I'm, or maybe just the way I look, I don't know. But even that, like my mum and grandma are political asylum seekers, is like, is that not, is that not good enough? And and the irony, this is the pure irony, is that when I was stopped off the Eurostar and questioned about where I actually, where did I actually come from? What was my intention in the UK? And then bringing out an Irish passport and that looking even more dodgy is it was, I was stopped by a brown woman. I was stopped by a Pakistani woman. Oh, wow. So for me, it's super duper layered. And Mm. I didn't think about myself in that moment. I got out of Eurostar finally and I rang up my mum and I said, did you have to, how many times did you have to go through this? How many times did grandma have to go through this? And your actual political asylum seekers, so they are fully questioning your existence, who you are. Um, yeah. That was where that pain came from. And it's kind of like, I guess we can heal from it. And, I, I, and we try. And, you know, I've always promoted mental health and looking after your mental health and therapy, et cetera, et cetera. But I think those tiny little jabs they they do leave scars they do leave scars and even when trying to have a conversation like this I have a voice in my head that's like don't shut up about cultural appropriation you're just being you're sounding like you're a victim stop victimizing yourself get on with it this kind of like voice in my head that's like and and I and I battle that through this whole conversation Mm. yeah 
Mm. We are completely indoctrinated, regardless if I'm the only child in my family that actually grew up in London, etc., etc. That indoctrination, and that is generational trauma. That is a trauma that yeah. you passed down. And, and I think that the more I embrace, the more that I go to the Brits and the Lenga, full, knowing full well that no one, no one will be in the same outfit as me. I know it's not Givenchy and it's not Gucci and it's not XYZ the more I'm going to set an example, not for my fan base, not for myself, but for my family to be prouder yeah. of who they are. Yeah. And and in that way, maybe that's like a scar removal cream. I don't know. Yeah. But hopefully that does something. And that's always been my aim. That's always, in, not in my music, not in my artistry, although it has leaked into that. But as a person from 16, making the choice Am I going to be proud of where I'm from? Am I going to embrace it? I've lost friends on the way of doing that. Mm-hmm. But that to me is the most important thing is actually embracing who we are. And with and like I said, when someone says, you smell like curry, trying to think in my head, well, actually, like I said, at least I come from a seasoned household, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think that for me, that's the... That's the only way that I can move forward. And r- reminding people that your identity is completely up to you. It's yeah, completely yeah. up to you. Not anyone else, not your family, not your friends. How you want to identify yourself, in, by all means, is up to you. Joy, I feel like you need to create some kind of book or YouTube yeah. series or something <laughs> for kids g- growing up in school because like like you said about when you were growing up you didn't have those quick comebacks at 8 45 in the morning but like so you need to f- give those to yeah. the kids yeah this is what i'm saying and like, i'm fortunate enough to grow up in a place like south london and again people taking the piss out of you growing up in an area that's poor that's very very filled with ethnic minorities and actually being fortunate enough to grow up around caribbean communities around african communities in my heart i'm like why should we ever be made embarrassed or ashamed of where we're from? Because full well, just even knowing that Hannah comes from Egypt, there is so much to be proud of. There are civilizations, there are art forms, there are mannerisms that our mm. ancestors have come up with. And when we get shamed for that, it just, like you said, you may not have the comeback, but as you get older and you actually decide, maybe I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to go into my culture and realise... To me, that knowledge makes us stronger. Yeah. Massively, yeah. massively stronger. I just think it's a big part of like learning, like growing into your own skin. I had the same experience in high school. People would always be like, you really smell like your house. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I've like, been yeah, told that so many times. Yeah. I was like, doesn't everyone has a natural scent? That's like everyone, has, you smell like your house too. Like whatever, because my mom always burned incense. We had always had Arabic before all the time. So I always would, like, I'd come to school with my clothes smelling up before. But I think it's really nice, the whole thing about going on the red carpet or, like, performing and all these things that you're saying, you know what, like, if I don't stand in pride, then I'm sort of doing a disservice to everyone who sort of feels like me and is going through what I'm going through. And I kind of, it's the same cultural thing I have where I'm like, I have the same issue of being in Sudan and people being like, well, you're not Sudanese. I was like, I'm, I'm in your country. Like, I'm, I'm, feel, I'm feeling, but anyway, I'm British. I have a British passport with the same with you, the Irish passport. Completely always acknowledge that I am half white and I never, ever, ever, even when I got, so I'll give you an example. I got asked how I felt about being the first Asian artist to be at the top five of the BBC Sounds list. Mm. And I said, do you want my honest answer? He was like, okay. I said, it's, it's disappointing. 
it's a real shame. And I said, you know why it's a shame? Because of obvious reasons, it's 2020. But number two, it's a real shame because I'm half white. Mm. I'm not even a fully brown chick and I'm getting it, right? Mm. So you're telling me that not even someone like MIA, who is fully Tamil, has never been in this like and to me that was just like colorism is something that I think a lot of mixed people really need to understand and really need to acknowledge about themselves that we do have a level of privilege and I never I think in the process of embracing my culture etc etc may be easier for me because I am lighter skinned because a lot of people don't think I'm from Bangladesh etc etc so I I don't take away from that and like you said when I go back home I feel it because of the way that my skin is embraced compared to my mother's my mother is a dark-skinned Bengali woman yeah. And that has created conversations that have been really difficult between both of us. Mm. You know, so I think that that is something really, really important for us to acknowledge as well. Being of mixed heritage. Yeah. God, joy. Like, literally, I feel like I'm just like, oh, okay, well, what else do we just like, keep talking? <laughs> it's so powerful. <laughs> it's so powerful also because it resonates in so many ways. But um, yeah, it's funny. I always say the same thing. Like, I'm fully Sudanese, but I feel like I have the same issues when it comes to being mixed race, because no one ever identifies where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And I'm always sometimes, you know, with Chi and um, with Sabira, you guys can be like, I'm fully Bengali, I'm fully Nigerian. I'm like, I'm fully Sudanese, but I can't even claim that because people won't even let me be fully Sudanese. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an interesting one. There are so many places of division when you're at home, when you feel like you're at home in the motherland. Yeah. When, yeah, I can, and that's why at the beginning of this, I said I'm 100% of everything, including yeah, the because that's what I've decided. Even if the percentages don't add up, I don't care. She's <laughs> 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 300% woman. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Our closing question, the reason why we asked this question is because we are the Unpretty Podcast. We are here to celebrate the beauty of people of colour navigating through a world where they don't always feel like they are beautiful so with that in mind when did you first realize that you were beautiful oh that's a hard one I mean honestly I think um in terms of my character I've always known so like I'm full of love don't judge you know I just feel like my character I'm very proud of but honestly it's been a learning process for me to understand and appreciate my beauty and my individualism and my uniqueness and I'm still on that journey as well and I think tattoos have helped me reclaim my body connect to my culture connect to my heritage and yeah I'm still on that journey amazing really nice I feel like Joy we're gonna get like a whole essay Mm. from you so we're gonna pause on Joy (laughs) Sabira when did you first realize you were beautiful that's really difficult that question um yes again yeah again like what Nish was saying I've always felt like my character is beautiful and that like for me that was like that's the main concern like that's that's the thing that's important and I feel like I'm still on that journey of of actually coming into my body and feeling that for myself mm-hmm. um, in a way where I truly believe it, you know, where it's not just like a, a thing where it's like, oh, you're getting compliments from people, so yeah, I must be beautiful kind of thing, but actually really believing that you are from yourself. Um, and I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> so, so yeah. 
But you are beautiful, you know. I and and <laughs> you... <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I feel the exact same way as Sabura. I think that is especially being in the public eye, and you get as many messages as you get that are kind of um, sideways. You do get a lot of messages that are like, "Oh, Joy, you're so gorgeous," or this or that. And I can't. I would be lying if I said that I took that on. I'd, I, I think. I'm I'm way behind. I know Sabira very well, so I think I'm way behind on that journey. But I think that I feel beautiful when my mom and grandma feel beautiful. When they are flexing, when my mom's flexing, when my mom's showing me this garment that she wore to her very, 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 a very white party or a very um, British party, and she went, she'd be like, "I wore this white lingerie," and that will make me feel very beautiful. Um, because I don't know I think pride through both of them has always been it makes me feel pride and I think in my in my kind of like understanding of beauty pride is is really really important yeah and so I think when I see them shining then I feel a little bit gassed to myself <laughs> that's probably yeah. the, yeah, nice. the times that I feel most yeah beautiful. amazing amazing Oh, what a great response. Thank you, guys. This has, like, gotten really emotional. But it's amazing to have you, and we both really appreciate you taking the time because it is just those conversations and why we love doing this because it is just brutal honesty of sort of saying, mm. hey, like, we're, we're all going through this. Um, was that not just the dreamiest conversation I felt like me and you spent the whole time just being like oh oh yeah yeah I feel like we were just like in all I know like who would have thought going into this conversation about tattoos and henna that it would be so deep yeah yeah I just felt like actually maybe because you don't really think about it until you really really think about it I feel like Nish just dropped some real gems that I didn't see coming just in terms of her practices, you know, and what she stands by. And I don't think I maybe ever give credit to tattoo artists genuinely treating it like not just an art, but also. Yeah, she's like an artist. She's spiritual. She's very like principled. Yeah, she's pretty dreamy. I'm definitely going to her when and if and mum, I'm never getting one. <laughs> but if that ever happened. <laughs> I am absolutely <laughs> sorry, mum. <Again. laughs> but I am 100% going to go to Sabira and try out her henna thing. She says that it will stick to my skin. So I'm looking forward to doing that. So maybe we could do that instead. Yeah. Oh, can we talk about Joy? Like Joy and her like powerful monologuing. I literally, I hope she does actually start a podcast because I would listen. Yes. Like I just felt like she, I... I felt like I related to her quite a lot with the growing up thing. Yeah. And I just love that she was like, I'm 100% this, 100% that, like really stands in conviction with who she is, which is just, you know, if only we could all be like that, you know? Yeah, totally. But do you know what I loved the most about this conversation and we're mm. seeing it more and more with all of our guests is mm. how, you know, this process of beauty, it's its a journey. Everyone, yeah. Everyone uses the word journey. How funny. Yeah, they all did. Yeah, they all did. Especially, I think, because we ask our question at the end. I think that um, yet yeah, all makes everyone a bit self-reflective. Yeah. Maybe that's just me on YouTube. Maybe we just just go deep. <laughs> like, we didn't realize we're doing it until we're like, oh, shit, that was deep. <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice. 
But guys, if any of you want to find out about our beautiful guests, please check in on the descriptions of the podcast wherever you are listening to it. And also it will be on our Instagram because you should follow all three of them because they're all incredible. Yes, follow them all. Yeah, and until next time when we find out what else we can get really deep on, maybe one day, Chi, we should just do a really, really shallow episode. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. If anyone has any ideas about how we can do a really surface level episode that is still in yeah. line with what we do here, um, yeah. let us know. Yeah, I would like to try that out just to be like, I wonder how long we could be surface level for. <laughs> you're pretty, no, you're pretty, no, you're pretty. <laughs> for like an hour. But anyway, thanks everyone for listening and until next time. Until next time. You have been listening to the Unpretty Podcast, hosted by me, Chi Euphodiama. And me, Basma Khalifa. Not forgetting our producers. Shout out to ASOLA for booking our amazing guests. And Katie Bissett for managing this whole thing. Special thanks to Xenia Gala for our artwork and Enoch Colo for our soundtrack. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please make sure you subscribe, rate us, and make sure you tell all your friends. And follow us on at Unpretty Podcast on Instagram and Twitter for more updates. Until next time. <laughs>